morning. Am I on? I am. I am. Brilliant. It's great to be gathered together this morning. And um, we are in a teaching series on the book or on any book at all, actually, other than the Bible. Uh, we're looking at Encounter with God. That's been our theme throughout this, uh, this autumn so far. And we've been looking at different characters in the Old Testament and their encounters with God. Uh, this morning, we were due to look at the story of Job. And that was going to tie in quite nicely with other aspects of this morning as we considered really a Christian response to suffering. But um, we're not going to do that, in fact. We, uh, it's, I did, in fact, have a sermon outline on Job already prepared when I felt God nudge me to say, there's something just a little bit out of kilter with the series that we've been following. And it is that we've been looking very much at individuals' encounters with God. And it's true and important for us to understand that God wants to meet with us as individuals. Uh, But actually, this morning, we're going to look at the fact that God also wants to encounter us in community. And if we carried on throughout the entire uh, term without looking at this, then we would misrepresent the way in which God wants to meet with us. So there's a choice in a few weeks' time as to whether when I'm next speaking, I do come back to that sermon on the book of Job or do what's in the diary to do in a few weeks' time and look at Josiah And if anyone wants to express a preference or an opinion, then feel free. (laughs) But this morning, we're certainly looking at what it is to encounter God in community. Uh, Just in the last week, I've been uh, together with Jeremy and Sally and a few others in Sweden, which is known as one of the most individualized countries in the world. We were in a school. We went to look at schools, and we were in a school that does an excellent job of accelerating individual students' progress, but that pays no attention to their care for one another, that has no focus on serving the community beyond them, and basically prepares people to succeed for themselves in the world. And it was both quite encouraging to see how well they were motivating students academically, but we came away with a very clear uh, sort of disquiet that reminded us of the importance of being community. That sense that we have of the importance of community is actually a godly thing. It reflects what God's like. Uh, Just before I carry on, I want to wave this book at you. The title may not sound the most inspiring in the world. The title of the book is Leading Missional Communities, which might not get many of you out of bed in the morning. But I want to say that this book has been a great blessing to me and to a number of others that I know have read it since it was published about six weeks ago, because it does a better job than anything I've read in a long time 
of describing what Christian community really can look like in a way that's fun, full of life, spiritual life, and making a difference in the world. So if you're wondering what to read at the moment, you could maybe get hold of this. As I say, leading missional communities makes it sound more like a handbook than something inspiring. But it is inspiring, and I'd recommend it to you. I'm going to read a story from it later on, in fact. As we've been going through these different characters from the Old Testament, the theme of community has been there all along. When God made Adam and Eve, he said, go and make a community. Be fruitful and multiply. When God met Cain, what did he ask him? Where's your brother? He was interested in what was going on amongst people. When God met with Abraham a whole number of times, what he had to say was, I'm going to make you into a people, into a father of nations. When God met with Moses, he said, go to Pharaoh and say, let my people go. People Community is always on God's mind. That shouldn't really surprise us because we know that God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He is Trinity, three in one. And that's not quite the same as saying that God is community because the relationships between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are so much better than any human community could ever be, that we don't quite do God justice if we say that the Trinity is basically a community. But the Trinity is perhaps better described as perfected community. I mean, it's beyond our understanding, but it is about relationships between different persons. And that's what God's like. That's what he's always been like from all eternity. And so when he looks at us, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and sees one of us by ourselves, he loves us. But he can't help thinking about our relationships. Can't help thinking about the other people around us. And he loves, he just loves to encounter us in community together, not just by ourselves. So when Jesus came, he created community. This isn't actually a picture of Jesus, obviously, um, but I quite like it. He's there with a whole bunch of other people, men and women. In Matthew chapter 12, Jesus' mother and brothers came to him to catch up with him. And this is what we're told. While Jesus was still talking to the crowd, his mother and brothers stood outside wanting to speak to him. Someone told him, your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to speak to you. Jesus replied, who is my mother? Who are my brothers? And pointing to his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Jesus created a new 
family in which it wasn't about where you were born, not about what language you speak, not about how good a person you are, not about how lovable (laughs) you might be, but simply by accepting a relationship with Jesus and being one of his friends, which comes at no cost to us because he's paid it all, we can be in this community, which is Jesus' family, the family of God. We are a people that God has made. Now, today, family in particular means different things to different people. There is the uh, perception of family, meaning a couple with 2.4 children. Uh, I think that nowadays what we tend to hear is that, of course, that's not the only sort of family. There are other sorts of families, children from different parents, and there's a whole range of family experiences that people have in Britain today. I have a cousin who once wrote an email to me as I wanted to talk to her about being better connected in our family. And she wrote back saying to me that the word family sends a shiver down her spine. And it may be that that's how it feels to some of you. Because we can have very bad experiences of family. But Jesus is determined not only to meet us individual, but to draw us into a great family. And for that to be a blessing to us. In the New Testament, that family is often described as fellowship. There's a Greek word in there. Greek word is koinonia, which is about having things in common. Or we could put it a different way, it's to do with sharing. Community is seen amongst people who share with each other. Here's a couple of things that we read about in the New Testament. In Acts 2, it talks about the believers having everything in common. They they shared the stuff that they had. They also broke bread together. And we might naturally nowadays read that as, oh, that's what we do on a Sunday morning or in a church service. But actually, that was for them about eating meals together in the midst of which, as they broke bread and as as part of the meal, they drank wine. They remembered what Jesus had done for them. So it was about sharing food, about sharing resources. And by resources, it's things like this. There are people in the church here who at times have bought a car across a couple of households because they couldn't otherwise have afforded one and have shared actually quite significant resources together in order to be a blessing to one another. Uh, We are on, there's a a household in the church, I won't say who they are, uh, but um, we're on the insurance of their, named on the insurance of their car so that whenever we have any trouble with ours, at their cost we can make use of what resources they have. Um, I know people who've lived close to each other, close enough that part of their gardens touch, and they've taken the fence down between their houses so that they can share the physical space that they've got. It could mean giving other people your house key so that they've got access to your house. We don't quite do that. What we've got by our back door is, well, you know, you get those boxes. If you have, um, 
uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, carer, a carer come to visit you, and you can't get to the door. To, I mean, you have a little box by your door with a pin number so they can get the key and come in. We've got one of those by our back door, so that if anyone ever needs access to our house to get stuff, we don't have to even have to be there. For it. We got a phone call one Christmas morning. Well, it's Christmas early afternoon, actually. We were miles away with family. We got a phone call from someone in the church living just around the corner from us saying, the turkey fat has blocked our sink. We don't have a plunger. Do you? And I said, here's the pin number. Get into our house. You'll, you know, sort it out. It's These are little tokens of something really important, which is that what we have is not just ours to keep, but in community, we share with one another. And some of you have shared much more substantial things than the things I've just mentioned, have welcomed people into your homes and done them the world of good. It's about sharing food. I could say lots more about that, but we'll move on. In every age, Christians have had to ask, what does this kind of community look like for them? How does it work for them? How can they share together? And the Holy Spirit helps and gives direction and guidance and inspiration. uh, And people also look at the scriptures and say, how can this work? As an example of the Holy Spirit's help, in maintaining community under pressure, it's amazing that communism no longer rules Eastern Europe. You know, as we're thinking about nations where it's hard, more than hard, to be a Christian, um, you know, for those of us that lived through the Berlin Wall coming down and the end of communism, I mean, we just didn't believe it could happen like that. In sweeping changes taking place in society. And we need to encourage ourselves that God works way beyond what we think could ever happen. I remember as a kid growing up hearing stories of the persecuted church in Eastern Europe and wondering how on earth will that ever end? Where's that going? But one thing that happened in certainly in Hungary, because that's where I heard it from, but maybe in other places, was that In order to maintain community, the Holy Spirit helps the church there. And they would say, well, we can't organize anywhere to meet because we might be found out and there may be an informer. So to make sure that we meet, the way it works is this. Uh, We will meet on a certain day of the week, but everybody needs to pray and ask the Holy Spirit to tell you where we're going to meet. And that's where we meet. So that kind of ensured that you had a fairly spiritual gathering. (laughs) And the amazing thing is how well it worked. And it worked really well because as God speaks to us, he wants to to provide community for us to be part of. He could have said to all of those individual Christians praying, oh, don't worry about that. I just want to give you a download of wisdom and peace and grace. But actually, what the Holy Spirit wanted to do was to say to those people, yeah, this is where you need to be, to meet with your brothers and sisters. When we look at the New Testament and ask, from the scriptures, what does community look like? What we found out is that these principles of sharing life 
were most naturally expressed in the early church in a context that was called oikos. And the oikos in the in Greek and Roman society was the household. That's how it is best translated, and that's a word that we will come across again and again. Sometimes it's translated as home or house, but the household in those societies was made up, uh, at least ideally, of a man and a woman, married, living together with their children, but not only their children, also some extended family members that might live with them, and their servants, and more likely than not, their slaves as well, because that was how society worked at that time, living together under one roof. And uh, not everybody in Roman society lived in those kinds of dwellings. Actually, I mean, you get very different pictures from archaeology done in different Roman cities around the Roman Empire. It's hard to generalize, but it seems like probably only 10% of people lived in groups like that. The majority of people lived in little tiny rooms in great big tenement blocks, um, cell blocks, really. And yet, when we read the New Testament again and again and again, it's the household where people gather. It's the household which only a minority of people lived in physically where the majority of Christian community took place. There was something for them that they found it for them as they worked out these principles of sharing life, it was most natural for them to work it out in those households. So the apostles we read in the book of Acts, as they went around, they did their public ministry but they also went from household to household, recognizing that God would be at work amongst the community that lived there and that gathered there. In Acts chapter 5, it says that day after day they met in the temple courts and from house to house, from oikos to oikos. In Acts chapter 20, as Paul is saying his farewell words to the Ephesian elders, he says, you know... I've not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly, that's there again, and from house to house, getting round the smaller communities in people's homes and seeing the life of God come there too. The fruit of that ministry was that churches formed in people's homes. Romans 16 says, Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my, fe- my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, they risked their lives for me. Greet also the church that meets at their house. Colossians 4.15, give my greetings to the brothers and sisters at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. Philemon 2 is written, amongst others, to Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in your house. When the apostles gave guidance for what should relationships look like in the church and and what should church leadership look like as well, they assumed 
that the churches were operating as households. When they gave instructions about eldership, when they gave instructions about marriage, how husband and wife should relate, and fathers and children and uh, masters and slaves, they wrote that saying that the church should act like a good household. So the Holy Spirit will inspire us, and whatever circumstances we find ourselves in, the Holy Spirit will guide us as to great uh, innovative ways to form community, because he's good like that. But when we turn to the scriptures, we really do well to pay attention to this thing of the household, the oikos, what was that like? And as we're guided in our Christian lives by the scriptures, what does that look like for us? It, it was an extended family, not just a nuclear family, but a, a larger group of people, which was including people beyond just the flesh and blood of the householder. And, I didn't say this before, but these households ran a business together. They had a common purpose in wider society that was not just, about com- not just about coming together, but it would be the household that, as was the case for Paul, a tent maker, Priscilla and Aquila, in fact, were tent makers. Their household was a community who together made tents. And when Paul came and lived with them, he joined in the business of their household. So those two things, it was an extended family, and it was a family that had purpose beyond itself, are two things that really ought to strike us today as different to how family works in modern Britain. In modern Britain, family is, I mean, not many homes will accommodate more than five or six people. There are some that will, but we're used to living in a small group and we expect that everyone in the house will live their own life in very significant measure. It it would not be the case. You wouldn't expect, say, a bunch of students looking for housemates for next year to say, well, we want to live together, four, five, six of us, however it may be, but you can only be part of it if we're we're all going to go to the same nightclub and, you know, and, or whatever it is, you, you know, we're all going to join the same sports club and you can only be part, you can only join in with our life if we live you know, all together in, in lots and lots that we do. That's not instinctive to us. Even in flesh and blood family, if parents were to require their children to follow a particular profession because it's what they did, that would be seen as really heavy. And so... That's not instinctive to us. We don't think naturally about family doing things together. But the early church, what we read in the New Testament, of all the different things, because there wasn't just the oikos and these different cell blocks that people lived in. There were collegia and schools and uh, sort of fraternal societies of people that followed the same trade. There were other organizational structures in society But as the church landed on how do we live out this life of God in community, the one that they landed on is this is the right way for us to do this with an extended family with a common purpose. Extended family, common purpose. And so for us as a church, 
in Oxford Community Church, we have sought to change over the last four years in the light of that understanding. Four years ago, I couldn't have explained it as clearly as I hope I just have. We said, oh, we've had cell groups that have been sort of six or 12 people, but it feels like we need some groups that are a bit bigger. I remember preaching that four or five years ago. And the general sense amongst us all being, you know what, there's something about that. We instinctively know that a smaller group is better at caring for one another, but that a group needs to be a bit larger if you're going to really do anything daring that will make a difference in the world. And so when that vision was laid out, there was a general acceptance of it. More recently, three or four years ago, said, yeah, and there's something about forming each group that we have around some common purpose beyond itself. That was the point at which we changed the name of our groups. Uh, to We called them missional communities because that word missional speaks about purpose beyond ourselves, looking out, expecting to go out and to make a difference in the world. I'll come back to that later, but just want you to to hear from me this morning that uh, what we've sought to do as a church is to follow the scriptures. And it may be that as we've sought to do that, we've been working things out as we've gone along with the experience of some years, have now got to put where we can say, actually, this thing that we've been working for, we do, it's, it's this oikos thing that we find in the pages of the New Testament, and we're starting to live it more and more. Okay, let's move on. The next thing I'd like to remind you of, or maybe you've not had this thought before, uh, as clearly as this, but we can encounter God in communities. This is a drawing by Rembrandt of Jesus with his disciples, and Jesus is all glowing, as he should be, and, but they're sat around just informally as friends. The Holy Spirit will meet with us. <laughs> uh, the Holy Spirit will meet with us. It's right. I do know where Graham's going. It's all right. I've not offended him. He's going to a meeting I suggested he went to. Um, yeah. In 1 Corinthians 12, it says this. To each one, so to each one in the church, that is, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one... There is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom, to another a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by that one Spirit, to another miraculous powers or prophecy, to another distinguishing between spirits, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, and to still another the interpretation of tongues. These are manifestations of the Spirit. This is God making himself known through these different spiritual gifts. And then it says in 1 Corinthians 14, when you come together, each one of you has some gift that God has given. It lists a few ideas here. A hymn, a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue or an interpretation. Everything must be done so that the church may be built up. There's an expectation that when we gather together, we will experience a manifestation of God's presence through these different spiritual gifts. And I think 
that goes a long way to explaining why we're motivated to gather. We gather not just because it's what we do on Sundays, but actually we do have an expectation that whether it's through the worship leader or the preacher or others around us or other people coming to share words, that God will be active in our community. That he will speak to different ones of us in such a way that we can say with confidence, we met God this morning. He turned up. God spoke to one of my brothers or sisters. God inspired one of my brothers or sisters. One of my brothers or sisters prayed for me and it changed things. I met with God in community. We can encounter God in community. And actually, my experience has been that it's not just when others bless us, but that when we set out to bless other people in the community, we also encounter God. I remember some years ago praying for Steve Thomas because he had a bad back. I prayed for him and he wasn't healed at all. But I had a bad back too and as I prayed, mine was healed. I thought that was quite good. Uh, For me, just this week, I participate in a, a discipleship group which is called a huddle. Every fortnight I do it on Skype with a bunch of other guys. Um... I came to that on Tuesday, honestly, quite despairing. I think it was partly just being tired. But I was also just frustrated with God that he'd not come and swept this city with revival by now. And, you know, sometimes those things get in you. Like, oh, for goodness sake, God, you know, really... And sometimes, I don't know if if it's the case with you, but sometimes those frustrations turn towards questions of, do I really know God? Uh, That's where I was at uh, on Tuesday afternoon. And that reality was drawn out of me by a few questions. And then these brothers just began to speak perspective about what God's been doing over the decades in Britain and Western Europe and how that parallels things that have gone on in history and that, of course, God knows what he's doing. And, and I was changed. By, I was changed. I met, I met God afresh in that kind of conversation. I'm sure that many of you have had that sort of experience. Sometimes we meet God in the very practical kindness that is given to us. I have two items of clothing, only two, I think, that I have any emotional attachment to. Um, there's a, uh, oh, get, uh, there is so much danger of getting what I say wrong about clothing. I was about to say something, something very gender stereotyped. I will hold back. Um, one of them is a jumper that Bev gave me one Valentine's Day. But um, the other one, James, where James was leading worship this morning. Um, some, about five years ago, I was it, just out of the blue, James gave me a sports top, which was a kindness because he knew I needed one. And I don't know why, but I didn't must, whether I was feeling again one of those moments of loneliness, but it was an act of friendship. And every time I get it out, I think, oh. <laughs> but don't we all need that sometimes? Don't we need friends through whom God communicates his care for us that remind us that at whatever moments we're feeling 
<sighs> despairing, lonely, whatever, that God is greater. This community in which we encounter God has both very organized bits and what we might call more organic bits that are a bit more spontaneous. Here we go. There was a meeting. He was here last night with George and Banoff, just out of interest. Um, I was writing this sermon last night, so I couldn't come. Anyway, uh, there was a meeting here. I imagine people met with God. Is that, is that fair? But it was pretty organized. I mean, it went out with bits of paper and emails. And uh, there was an organized meeting, a bit like the thing on the left here, I imagine. I mean, there's a certain amount of chaos that might take place. But everyone knew where and when to come. And it was planned some time in advance. And community does require some of that organization. And God will meet us in the well-organized things. So when we come here Sunday by Sunday... I sometimes think we could be a bit better organized, but we're pretty well organized here on Sunday mornings, and we meet with God. But we also meet with God in the more spontaneous going out for a pint after work type community as well. Some of the times when I've been most impacted by God, I mean, it's been different things at different stages of my life. When I remember as a student, looking at Andy and Ruth, I remember as a student, student lunches, I remember not just the student lunches, but the hanging around for two or three hours afterwards, experiencing God's peace in a peaceful home when peace was otherwise far from me. A little bit later in life, and as a young married couple, I remember meeting, we used to make a regular Friday evening going around to see some friends, Joe and Jenny Boot, who some of you will know from years ago that now live in Canada, a different stage of life, just people that we could go to after, in your 20s, when you're starting to realize that you've got to work, and you get to Friday evening, and you wonder why you're so tired again this Friday evening, when isn't a Friday evening supposed to be for fun, and you've got no energy left, you know, that, that feeling, people that you can just crash and be yourself with on a Friday evening, but talk about the stuff of God, and pray. Uh, yeah. We need both. Community, actually, if we don't have the organized things, community will start to just dissipate. And you'll you're suddenly realize it's actually been quite a while since we've seen anyone. So the organized thing matters. But if the organic, spontaneous bit is lacking, it's pretty thin, isn't it? And we don't actually have very much fun. We try and have a bit of fun, but let's be honest, this morning's meeting is probably not the most fun you're going to have this week. Probably. I hope not. (laughs) Uh, There's some some great things going on here, but there's other better things that God does for us in other parts of our community together. I need to move on. The last point to make is this. The world can encounter God in our community. These pictures are, the picture at the top is a picture of what became known as, um, thank you very much. I couldn't, (laughs) thank you very much. Uh, But I don't think it was even called that then. This is a church plant in Cote in Paris. 
the picture at the top is they've just started. There's a community of people, a small community, eating food regularly and sharing life, being friends. And for them, when they start, they didn't do any public meetings. They met like that week in, week out, and became community together. The picture at the bottom is of John and Nom, who are in the top picture, the people that we sent to, to lead this church, baptizing uh, Caroline, who was their neighbor. That is the right picture, isn't it? I've just got an authoritative voice here in Ruth because she was part of the church there, so I'm just checking. And Caroline was their neighbor living in the next door flat and aware of these people coming around for tea all the time. And in that, she got to know John and Nom a bit, but then was able to just join in with having tea. Well, it's not called tea in France, obviously, an apéro or something. Um, with that community and began to experience God in those friendships, those small kindnesses, those words that bring perspective, those prayers prayed, that sharing in prayer, in which even as we are part of that, we learn to pray ourselves because we're part of a praying community. All of that, she found Christ, or rather Christ found her, and that's her being baptised. The story from this book that I want to read is just another encouragement that, that when we form Christian community, where we're sharing together an extended family with a purpose, it's really attractive to people. Here's a story of someone who describes how this worked out in a missional community that they led. He writes, my wife and I led a missional community together that was focused on young families Money was really tight for all of us at the time. One of the things we began to do was to think about what it might look like to help each other financially. Of course, that's hard to do when everyone is struggling financially. But what we began to do was to schedule our meals together a month in advance and to buy groceries in bulk together. Some meals we'd all eat together, some we'd eat separately And some meals, we'd make way too much and bring it to other people's houses, and then they'd do that for us on other nights. So sharing resources and sharing food. Each family saved, this is from the States, so each family saved hundreds of dollars a month on groceries. That's good. (laughs) But what was more amazing was the sense of family and togetherness that it brought to our group. And even people who weren't Christians were noticing what we were doing and wanting to get in on it. And that, those last few words, I think, are quite powerful. It seems to me that a lot of the time, as Christians, as we think about the world and the people around us, we're trying to work out how we can get out and connect with people, how we can make a difference. And here's a story of community being lived in such a way that people are knocking on the door. So can I, is, it, is it all right if I join in? Would that be okay? Just yesterday, uh, there were a n- number of the leaders of our missional communities here hearing some great stories from elsewhere in the UK that were an encouragement to our faith. Uh, one story from Leicester, a nice leafy, posh suburb of Leicester where there's community forming. And people are seeing the quality of community shared by these Christians and asking, please, to get in on it. That missional community just went away for a 
uh, weekend, it wasn't really a retreat, weekend away together to have fun together at the equivalent of centre parks in Holland. So quite well off. A quarter of the people that were there weren't Christians, but, but saw that community as a community to which they really belonged. So much so that one of the wealthier non-Christian families in that community said, would it be all right if I just make sure, you know, we as a couple make sure we pay for anyone who wants to come that can't afford it? Because this is our community and it would be awful if anyone in our community couldn't come. You've got a situation where community is wanted and people who aren't Christians are willing to pay for like your church weekend away costs. So the community that we form is one where actually anyone can come and encounter God and start to be part of what God's doing. Uh, I was looking for Stuart Clare, who's around. Oh, there you are, Stuart. I'm going to read again the word, the picture, the vision that you had five years ago now. What you saw five years ago, this is what Stuart saw. I saw the inside of the King Center, and there were tents pitched indoors all around the hall. Families and groups in the church were trying to recreate here how things are at our church camps. In the summer we camp and everyone is you know, living in family together and so on. Then, oh, but, he's, but it wasn't quite right or not, because we were all inside the King Center. Then I saw groups of people taking down their tents and going back out to where they live and pitching them again in the neighborhood where they live and starting to invite people in and making hot chocolate and dinner, the kind of things that we share very naturally when we're on those church camps together. I mean, most of us cook a bit more than we need and expect others to join us each mealtime, that sort of thing. Um, started to invite people in, have others around just like at those camps, but for those outside the church. And... Uh, I think that's what God has been doing amongst us over the last five years. You know, we've still got quite a way to go in learning what that looks like. But we do have a bunch of missional communities that are, have learned a lot about how to live life this way. And I'm going to finish this morning simply by inviting you, if you're not part of one of those communities, to join one. There's a list here. Actually, there's also Lifehouse, if you live in Kidlington, there's Lifehouse Church, which isn't on this list. But we have Connect, uh, Youth, with Biscuits and what they do on Sunday morning. Students, students, so I was expecting some kind of, I just thought you at least might be awake. We have Edge, Serving the Homeless, Welcome, with running, now running a 20s to 30s cafe, and Alpha is connecting in with Welcome as well. We have a number of groups in OX2 that are working together. Similarly, in OX4, it's a group in Marston and Northway that's in OX3. Um, most of these meet the organized bit several times a month, praying together, eating together, learning from the Bible, planning what to do, reaching out together. Now, 
the shift that we made three years ago was this thing about oikos, recognizing that in the ancient world, each oikos had a focus beyond itself. Each of these groups has a focus beyond itself. It's not only about fellowship and sharing together, a focus beyond itself in which community is done in such a way that others can come in and be part. So if you join one of these groups, it's on the understand, it needs to be on the understanding that these groups do have a purpose beyond themselves. And sometimes people have said, well, this thing about missional communities, it's all very complicated. And frankly, none of those things really float my boat. You know, the thing I've really got a passion for is not on the list. Well, frankly, anyone could join in with any one of these groups and have a great time. Really. As long as you're willing to be a bit flexible and to acknowledge that the group's doing some things together that you might need to be a bit flexible to join in with. You won't fit in. Frankly, if you are really, really inflexible, there is no community on earth that's going to work for you anyway. So a bit of flexibility is required for participation in any community. There may be a little bit more flexibility that's required to fit in with a community that's got a purpose so that you can join in with it. So, dotted around are some other bits of paper, which are nowhere near as nice as Sanjay's. I have to say, I, I eventually concluded, it's one of my little um, rules of thumb, that if the computers keep failing, it must be spiritually significant. <laughs> I don't know if that's true or not. But after the third computer in the office this morning stopped working for me, one just turned itself off. As I was trying to print these bits of paper, I ended up writing it by hand and photocopying it, because I remember that we used to do that 20 years ago. So... There are some slips of paper that say, yes, I'd like to, I'd like to know more about which missional community I could join. So um, I gave them to, to one of my daughters to hand out, and she was really generous on this side of the hall, and had run out by this side of the hall, and um, I'm sorry about that. So if you want a bit of paper, and you haven't got one over there, there's a few more over here, what we'll do is, um, could you... What's the easiest way? Could you just bring them to the front and put them on the stage here? And I'll collect them all up. And what this bit of paper says is just that you, you'd like more information about what's going on in our missional communities. And if you fill that in, it means that someone, quite likely Keith or I, but it might be someone else, will get in touch and say, well, these couple of options might serve you. Which one would you like to find out more about? And we will help that process for you. Okay. I'm done. Good.